Hey there, listeners. Thanks for stopping by to the podcast today. Please, before you're done listening to this episode, leave us a review. If you're on Spotify, you can review now, and you can also review on Apple Podcasts. But if there's any platforms that I'm forgetting about and you can leave us a review, please do so. If you're happening to watch us on YouTube, and if you don't know, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube now, uh, please like and subscribe to the channel and share the episode as well. So thanks for stopping by, everybody, and enjoy the episode. Stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. We one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hello and welcome back to the Knowledge is Power podcast. This is Max Willett, your host, and I'm insanely excited. Excuse my lack of better verbiage, but that's really the only words I have to describe what I'm feeling right now. Ever since I created the podcast, I wanted to have this person on to share his ultimate you know, wisdom. Uh-huh. So if you want to go ahead... You're, hot, you're that hot up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. I'm uh, Larry Fish. And I'm from Wakefield, Rhode Island, originally in, from Warwick, Rhode Island, and I'm 68, four kids, 13 grandkids, a few businesses in town, mm-hmm. chairman of the town's economic development committee, uh, on the board of soccer Rhode Island for youth soccer in the state of Rhode Island. All, all those things are volunteer. I... Uh, uh, my wife and I, ever since we've been in business now for over 40 years, our philosophy is that a business has to give back to the community. You can't just take from the community. And I look around at all the businesses, and they want your business and that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, that's, that's okay, but I find that if you give back to the community, it comes back to you 10 times. And it makes you feel good. So that's what we do. We always uh, try to leave someplace better off than we found it if we're using someplace. Or if we're using URI uh, for soccer fields, I want them cleaner than when we found them. Mm-hmm. I want them. Uh, we, we've, uh, in the past, we've put uh, sod down in certain areas or whatever. Whatever it takes to uh, create the best experience for whatever we're trying to do at that time. Absolutely. So I think a great place to go from now is just to tell your life story. You know, just let's do it. So just talk about, you know, where you're from and then just your life. Uh, I'm uh, from Warwick, as I said. I went to school in Warwick and uh, I had two brothers. Both of them are older than me, uh, Bob and Ken. And... uh, uh, my father was a machinist. He made gun barrels in, the, in World War II. And uh, he worked his way up from a lab, uh, lathe operator to vice president of sales in the company. Wow. And part owner of the company. So being an entrepreneur is kind of in the blood. And uh, both my brothers were that way. Uh, they both passed on from... Uh, one from pancreatic cancer and the other one from heart disease, but they both had heart disease, and my father died of heart disease. 
and I've got uh, nine stints and two bypasses, and I'm still above ground. Yep, yep, making an amazing impact. You know, I think every every week. So, I've had people on in the past from BNI Business Networking International, and uh, for those of you that remember those people, I think it just. I think I can speak for everybody. It's every week you come, and you always have some great wisdom to give. So yeah, I mean, yeah, continue on. Um, yeah. So I went to uh, Pilgrim High School. Mm-hmm. Then I went on to URI in uh, the College of Business. Graduated in three and a half years uh, instead of four because I screwed up on my schedule, but I got mm-hmm. done early. Uh, my final exam was on a Friday, and Monday I started working for IBM uh, in uh, General Systems Division. We sold uh, small computers. Um, that's why I have a little hard time with technology. Uh, what, what I'm carry around in my iPhone, uh, I was, I was selling for $250,000. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. In 1977. So it's, 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 you know, I, I learned a lot from IBM when I was in IBM. Uh, they trained me for one year off and on the whole time. Uh, and then, then they would let me go and, and have a territory and that kind of stuff. But the investment that they put into their people, I'll, I'll never forget. And, uh, I'm, I'm better for it. And, um, uh, uh, my wife worked for the outlet corporation. Uh, when the outlet corporation existed, they owned radio and TV stations, uh, channel 10 being an example locally. And uh, uh, she was a key punch operator and uh, went to school in secretarial at Bryant College, which is now Bryant University, <clears throat> and worked her way through uh, a two-year degree doing that and ended up becoming uh, the secretary for the chairman of the board of the Outlet Corporation, Dodie Sinclair, and also helped out. Uh, as Bruce Sunland's secretary. So uh, my network, uh, people that know me or uh, that I know them, uh, expanded because of all these different experiences. And I was with IBM for seven and a half years. Then I had my own computer consulting business for four years. Uh, I've been in the executive office building uh, of right next door to the White House selling handheld lasers back when uh, there were no laser pointers or anything else. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, uh, to get through security, I had to open up the case where the, where the laser gun was and had to shoot myself for, <laughs> for the Secret Service. So I've had all kinds of different experiences. Wow, I didn't know the, that. Yeah. Wow. So... Uh, that's just a little bit of, of my history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, my four kids went to South Kingston High School, and, and they all played soccer. I got involved in soccer. I never played soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when uh, South County Soccer uh, wanted to do a fundraiser and they wanted to have a soccer tournament like other large clubs had soccer tournaments, they came to me and asked me uh, if, if I would uh, be the be the director of it, and I, I said sure, and and my wife was co-director because we do everything together, 
And um, uh, when we started that out, the first year it had 54 teams. And I think I was uh, ahead of it for maybe 11 years. And that year it had somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 teams. Uh, wow. The largest in, in New England at the yeah. time. And, but like everything else, we didn't focus on making money because that was the, that was the purpose I was given. That was my charge. Mm-hmm. to create a tournament and generate some money so that it was less money for all the parents for their kids to play soccer in South County. Uh, but we focused on the experience of the people that were attending the soccer. Mm-hmm. So we scheduled games that were convenient for them so they could go to one place, not five different places for five different games, uh, they, they went to a venue, they parked, and they spent the day there, either the morning and into the afternoon or uh, late morning into, into the afternoon. And while they were there, on every field, we had a field marshal with a walkie-talkie that was the ambassador of the soccer club to all the visitors that were coming to play soccer. And... Uh, that's something we're very proud of. We, we showcased our, our community at the peak of its time, right around 4th, 14th of July uh, every year, around that time frame. And at every venue, we had the best medical uh, attention that you could get. EMS uh, people, uh, we took care of the kids if they were hurt. Uh, we had a really great caterer that I found out, out of Boston that would come down and and everybody could go to that one area where their soccer field was. All their games were going to be on that soccer field. And they had great food, great medical care, and they had somebody that could tell them where the closest beach was or uh, the best scenery or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's why it went from 54 teams to 350 teams. Mm-hmm. And, it, and uh, another thing I try to do in my life is, is focus on you, not me. Talk about what is, what's, what. If, if I solve a customer's problem, um, that's, what they're, that's what they're coming to me for. So if you focus on them, not what I'm selling. I'm not trying to sell a service or sell a product to a customer. I'm trying to help somebody solve their problem. And in dry cleaning, that's clean clothes or convenience. So just for everybody to know, just explain you know, what your current job situation is. <sighs> uh, my wife and I have owned peer cleaners on High Street in Wakefield for 21 years. Mm -hmm. We're in our 22nd year owning it. It's been around since 1954, the year I was born. So uh, I won't take credit for everything, just the last 21 years. Yeah. So yeah, continue on. I just wanted to make sure people got a little context of what you're talking about because I don't think you had mentioned that yet. So, So I think in everyday life, if you focus on uh, the area around you and try to make that better 
the people around you and make them better. Uh, share your knowledge. Knowledge is power, right? I love your name of this thing. Thank you. I've never, I've never listened to a podcast <laughs> in my life, but I wouldn't know how to uh, sign it on. <laughs> That's I sold, okay. co- I sold computers that have uh, ten times the power of this iPhone for a quarter of a million dollars, but I don't know how to turn on a laptop because <laughs> I just got burnt out of it. Yeah. I know the value of them. Mm-hmm. Everybody in my company has has computerization yeah and we're very automated yeah but uh it's not me doing it it's yep. it's uh, other people that i entrust in that mm-hmm. so but that's if 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 you focus on helping others the sales will come at some point in time mm-hmm. and and that's what I did with the Seaside Classic and a soccer tournament, and that's what I've done in in business and in my life. I try to help people solve issues uh, one way or the other. Maybe it's not me. Maybe I know a guy, mm-hmm. and I I get them in touch with them. You know, uh, you're in 3D printing. Yeah, I can right. personally vouch for your 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 you saying that it's always good to help other people because I remember you calling me oh man, it must have been a couple of months ago now. Yep. When just after you had finished you'd gotten out of surgery, like and you were mentioning three D printing to your surgeon and how his his son was in into three D printing and you had mentioned my name and I'm like <laughs> I was absolutely blown away. It's like you just got an out of surgery and you're thinking of me. Like, mm-hmm. well, so well, for all of those people that think that Larry is just trying to, you know, just make stuff up and just say this to make himself look good. It, he's at, he, he does it. And I, everybody that I know will personally vouch for that. And, you know, you, you know, you see these people on TV do that and then there's nothing showing that they've done it. You know, but Larry does it, and I can personally vouch for that. So thank you. Yeah, well, uh, the story you're talking about, uh, I have a heart surgeon that does robotic heart bypass. And of, of, of your listeners, if anybody's out there that has been touched by heart disease, their mother, their father, uh, son, daughter, and they've been told that they have to have a bypass, that involves cracking your chest. And uh, as my as my cardiolog- uh, cardiologist surgeon uh, explained to me is you know operating on your heart is a major thing when you when you have to fix your heart all right that's big big time mm-hmm. but cracking your chest open to get to the heart is the largest orthopedic procedure most dangerous and everything else that you could, you, you could endure on your body. So if he can use computers and robotics, uh, to go with a little arm between my ribs and, and, and do a, a bypass where I needed a bypass, um, without cracking my chest, the recovery time is, much quicker. I was exercising at South County Hospital three weeks to the day of my surgery. Mm-hmm. Exactly three weeks. Uh, 
three days, I was, three and a half days, I was out of the hospital. And the day, next day, I was, it was out in Tucson, Arizona. And my wife and my mother-in-law were there uh, watching over me while I was in the hospital. And, and the day after we got out of the hospital, we, we went to old Tucson and we did sightseeing in 90-degree weather. Yeah. I mean, I was that strong and doing that well. Was this recently or is this? That was 12 I years yeah, ago. I remember you were talking about this. I just watched your Ignite speech from 2014. Right. And, and that, that surgeon uh, I had never met before. I'd only talked to him on the phone, mm-hmm. but it made sense. I had talked to uh, a, uh, a, uh, a patient of his, and they told me how good it was. So if you're out there and you need another opinion for your father or mother or grandfather or whatever, uh, give me a call uh, and I can pass on my surgeon's name and number and it might be a lot easier and also a better quality job because you're using arteries, which are high pressure mm-hmm. blood vessels, as opposed to doing a bypass with, an, uh, with a vein out of your leg which is a low-pressure vessel. So what is the surgeon's name? Because, I mean, I could put your phone number in the description <laughs> of the podcast, you know, but or do you yeah. want to say his name? His, his name is Robert Poston. He mm-hmm. started out in Boston, then went to Chicago and Tucson, and now he's in uh, La Cruces, New Mexico. Oh. Uh, but uh, he also practices in, in Kentucky, Paducah. Okay. You know? Yep. And, and uh, so, but... Again, think about what I've been telling you about your life and how to live it. Um, uh, I went out to see him. I met him for the first time out there. Uh, he was everything I thought he would, would be. The surgery was everything I thought it was going to be. And uh, he gives me his personal cell phone number. He gives all his patients his personal cell phone number. If you ever have a problem... Call me, mm-hmm. and uh, on the anniversary of my of my surgery, every year for the last twelve years, I've sent him a text saying, "Hey, doc, I got to see my daughter's wedding. Thank you. Uh, uh, I saw my thirteenth granddaughter born. Thank you. Wow. Every year, and we go back and forth." Mm-hmm. And, and he, that, I'm thanking him because I'm truly uh, touched by what he did and how he affected my life. Uh, and I want him to know that, and I appreciate that. But if I can help him in any way, because this is groundbreaking, it's kind of like you in 3D printing, uh, he's using robotics to do and he's only one of a dozen in the country that does it. Um, and, and so if I can get the word out that you don't need to go into the hospital and get your chest cracked, be in the hospital for six days, sit in the back seat of your car for six weeks, not being able to drive for six weeks because your chest has to, has to heal. Mm-hmm. So you can't sit in the front seat because it's dangerous. If you get in a car accident, you'll die. You can't wear a seatbelt across your chest. Think about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so they're protecting your chest, not the heart, your chest. And, and his, his way of uh, 
doing the surgery. None of that. I was driving three weeks wow. after. And so the recovery time is much quicker and a better job. Absolutely. And, and so when I needed hot surgery again, uh, over the last 12 years, I've had nine stints put in. Uh, hot, I've had 12 hot catheterizations where they, that's when they go in and, and put the stints in. Sometimes I didn't need it. They just needed to be cleaned or whatever. Uh, but we, we needed to bypass those nine stints because the arteries were full of stints. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I, I texted them and say, Hey, here's all my, all my detailed information from the hot catheterizations where they take videos of everything so he could see everything that's going on with me. And he said, yeah, I can do another bypass um, robotically. And so I went down to wherever he was, and this time he was in Paducah, Kentucky, and I went down there. And uh, uh, my three-hour operation uh, turned into being seven hours because I flatlined during the operation, and he brought me back. So I'm on borrowed time right now, and I'm trying to give back as much as possible, and that's one of the reasons why, after a year of you bugging the hell out of me uh, to do this podcast, <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to come and do it for you because uh, uh, it's, it's part of the overall plan, I guess, that I'm, I'm following, and I'm trying to give back more and, and informing people about a heart procedure that, I mean, we're talking your heart, so it's, it's a major thing, mm -hmm. but nobody knows about this. And that's why I did that uh, Ignite presentation a few years ago mm -hmm. uh, with the chamber that you're, you were mentioned <clears throat> earlier. Yep. And uh, uh, obviously my, my operation was a little more intense this time, and I ended up in the ICU for seven days. But about the third day, he came, uh, the, my doc came in, and I, we started talking about his, uh, his kids because I, when I was in Tucson one day I, oh, uh, after the surgery, before I left, he invited me and my wife and my mother-in-law to dinner at his house, and we met his whole family. And so I have an up-close and personal because how I treat him, mm -hmm. all right? And uh, I'm not just a number, so I feel like I get better care because he really knows my body, uh, but I'm just trying to help him uh, get the word out on robotic bypass surgery. So uh, so three days after this surgery, I'm in the ICU, and uh, we're talking about his kids. And uh, it comes up, I said, what, what's your son going to study? He says, uh, well, he really wants to get into 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And I said, really? <laughs> I got a guy <laughs> and, and so, uh, he's up at Northeastern and, uh, I, my doc talked to his son. I talked to you. That's when I called you and said, yep. I got a referral for you. Yep. And you couldn't believe that yep. I was in the ICU and, and, and I was thinking of you, but it's just something that came up. And I could help. I, I could think help it was you. I could help my doc. I could help his son. I think it was Friday night at 7 o'clock. I remember exactly now. It was like a Friday night at 7. I'm like, why is Larry calling me? At, I thought he was in like Kentucky. I'm like, why is he calling me at 7 o'clock on a Friday night? <laughs> but yeah, that was awesome. I remember that so clearly, yeah. But again, it's trying to help the doc. Yeah. 
I know you, so it's a connection I could make. Why wouldn't I do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not about me or I. It's about the people that we uh, come in contact with. Do you remember, like, so obviously you have that philosophy. Do you remember the first experience that you, were, you said to yourself, that's how I'm going to live my life? Uh, my big moment that I kind of had to get my shit together and, and my head in the right frame of mind, I was in IBM training. Uh, I'd gone through, they sent, they sent me down to Atlanta for four weeks one time, six weeks another time, three weeks another time, and the last one is two weeks just on sales. Mm-hmm making sales and they they that's all they concentrated on and you had to do all kinds of mock sales calls with uh instructors there and i was very straight and narrow uh and i was cardboard i was i was uh talking like out of a script mm-hmm. and um I wasn't doing well. In fact, uh, the the guy that managed the sales training called my manager in Providence and said, this guy's not going to make it. And my sales manager said, no, I believe in him. Now, they, they had interviewed 306 people. This was back in the late 70s, and there was yep. no jobs out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the one selected out of 306 people. Wow. So... Uh, I felt very lucky to get the job and extremely happy that it was with IBM and their training and that on my resume, I could go places. So uh, my manager called me up and said, Larry, just be yourself. Just, just loosen up. And, and I went into the next mock sales call and I'm supposed to be selling computers and that kind of stuff. And, and we, I opened the door to the guy's room and he wel- welcomed me as if he was the owner of a company and looking for computers. And, and I started talking about f- saltwater fishing, giant bluefin tuna fishing, which I'm addicted to. And, and uh, we started talking about that for 90% of, of that mock sales call. And then... I did everything, talked about computers in the last 10% mm-hmm. and asked for the order and everything else. And I went from zero to hero. And I said, I, gotta, I, 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 I think I got it. I, I found my way. You got to create a rapport with the person and, and help them. They have an inventory control problem or they have a rec- accounts receivable problem that my computer could fix and I could help them. Mm-hmm. Once I, that, I mean, my, my uh, uh, very stubborn Swedish brain got that into its head, that's what I've done. And, and in sales, uh, I can say I don't have customers or clients. I have friends that I've helped. And if you go through business that way, I think you'll be very successful. 
But I think I've, I've extrapolated that out into my personal life, and I try to do that too. Hmm. And, and not just be communicating uh, business stuff with you, but personal stuff with you. Maybe I can help you in another way. You know, I, I had a car dealer that was fantastic. I hate buying vehicles. I own a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. I just hate it. I yeah. hate the whole experience. <laughs> but if I find a guy that I really like and, yep. and, and, and I'll let everybody know that. Yep. You know, my daughters say uh, they listen to this influencer or that influencer on podcasts or, or on Facebook, whatever, you know, whatever it is. I, I'm not really into that. But I feel like I, I keep on telling my kids I'm the original influencer because if I use you and and we get along good and, and it's a, a good outcome, I'm going to be your best advocate. But I'm not selling your service. I know of your service. And when I'm talking to somebody else, and they say they need that kind of service. I've got a guy, mm-hmm. and and I try to make my guy very happy and take care of, by helping him. He even wants to help me more. So I, that's what I mean. You get it back tenfold if you give. So if there's one thing I want to drill into everybody's mind out there, is is to treat people as you want to be treated and help them mm-hmm. with anything in life. And it will come back to you tenfold. Absolutely. I think that's something that you're told all throughout your childhood, I think. You know, treat, treat others how you want to be treated, right? Yep. But I think through the experience of life of middle school, high school, you kind of lose it, you know, because I think a lot of experiences just kind of discourage you, but you just have to keep pushing and living that way or else you'll, you'll just, you'll fail. You know, you have to treat others how you want to be treated. Um, And I think that's something that is very undervalued, especially today, me being around I mean, coaching baseball, you know, if any of those kids are hearing this and maybe you should probably listen to this, I feel like the personal or the relationships they have with their teammates or relationships that kids have with each other are just so lost because they just spend so much time in, in fake, in the fake world online. Right. You know, and I, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't ever spend my time on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. I'd be lying to you if I would, but I feel like throughout my business building experience, I've really learned the value of building real life relationships, personal relationships with people. And you're not doing that to get something in return. Yeah. But it always ends up. Yeah. That you do. Never burn a bridge, you know? You know, I've been, I, 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 uh, I was on the chamber of commerce, uh, uh, board of directors for 15 years, uh, serving as president one year. Uh, but I'm still a member of the chamber. I'm just not on the board anymore. Uh, so I've been on that for probably 35, 40 years. Uh, I've been, I'm chairman of the town of South Kingston's Economic Development Committee. Um, and, and that's a way of giving back to the community. 
But I also find out all the business stuff that's happening in town. Mm-hmm. What, what new development is going on? I was involved in the South County Commons development of that whole project. Yep. Um, so it gave back to me because I was a member of the, the, the Economic Development Committee, you mm-hmm. know, and I had the first foot in the door for businesses that came up there or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but that's not why I did it. I did it to help other businesses in South Kingston. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the purpose behind it, but it's the rewards that you get by doing something good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish I wish more news articles were on the good that's happening, not a fire here, an accident there where people died or whatever, or this shooting or that shooting. I wish it would be more of so and so did this or so and so did that. What's come out of the uh, the the mass sh- shooting at? Uh, I was at Club Q in yeah. in Colorado Springs, yeah, and and uh, the guy saved multiple lives. Mm-hmm. That should be what it's focused on. That should be the headline. That that's because that guy uh, saved my, many lives, mm-hmm. and I, if I can save one or two uh, by people knowing about robotic bypass surgery, or I can make their lives uh, uh, less stressful because they're doing it robotically as opposed to uh, soaring your, your, your sternum, mm-hmm. then, then that's what I want to do. I want to help people. But those people remember that. And then when someone's looking for dry cleaning or laundry or whatever, they'll say, talk to fish. Mm-hmm. You know? So after you worked at IBM, so how long, how long did you work at IBM, first of all? So... Seven years at IBM. Okay, and then and what? What was your next career after that? Co- uh, I was in uh, computer consulting. Okay, uh, I went to left IBM for less money, uh, but a promise of half the company with my best friend, and uh, I never got my half of the company, mm-hmm. and uh, gotten joined, and and I learned a, a, a very valuable lesson. Um, uh, Bruce Sunlin got on the phone and yelled at me for an hour. This is, this is the former governor who's deceased now, but when he was, he was running the outlet corporation, he had, he, 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 my wife called him because we were, we didn't know what we were going to do. I had been enjoined, uh, from working and from, by my best friend and, uh, uh, he got on and started yelling at me. Uh, if anybody knows Bruce Sunland, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, he had to put me on hold. And that was when there was long distance rates. And I was in Connecticut and he was in Rhode Island, so I was paying big bucks for the phone call. And uh, he put me on hold because he was talking to the president of France, Giscard d'Estaing, <laughs> who, who, who was... Uh, a very close friend because uh, Bruce Sunland got shot down in World War II and joined the French underground, and at which time he met Giscard d'Estaing uh, as part of the French underground and, and was with him for a year. And so that, 
wow. that, that's where their, their friendship became. They were in the, in the trenches uh, hiding from the Germans. That's giving me chills. <laughs> ah, and, and, and so when he came back to me after yeah. being on hold for an hour, you never hang up on Bruce Sunland. <laughs> uh, he yelled at me for another 50 minutes. Yeah. And, and the point he wanted to make, he was an extraordinary businessman. He said, I'll work a deal with anybody. But if I'm going to work a deal with a relative or a close personal friend, I want everything in writing and, and both parties to agree to it and sign it to protect the friendship mm-hmm. or, or the, the, the relationship with you have your, with your relative. He said, never go into business with somebody you know or you're friends with, or you're related to, without having a contract in writing. He said, I'll do business with anybody else off the street on a handshake. And, and I had worked on a handshake with my best friend, and I, I lost uh, that friendship. And uh, that, that's one of my biggest losses uh, that, that, I'll, uh, that I learned from. Mm-hmm. So that's another little... I hope I'm giving people little golden nuggets. Uh, that's yeah. one of my golden nuggets, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, uh, that turned out fine, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, uh, from that, I, I went into another computer consulting business for a few years and then got bought out of that. And it went from the high end flying all over the, the country, selling computers to... Well, I told you uh, the U.S. government and, and uh, retailers mm-hmm. all over the country uh, to buying a small house cleaning business, cleaning toilets and mopping floors. <laughs> you have to leave your ego at the door when, yeah. when that happens. Yeah. But uh, my lifestyle was more important to me than the dollars at that point because I had four little kids and my wife was trying, trying her best with the four kids, and I was flying all over the, the country, and I wanted to watch them grow up, and so I, I bought Ragtime Cleaning Service, and, and we've had, we had that for 35 years. So, and that's, that was my first business locally. Yeah, but so obviously you say that that was your way of sort of wanting to spend more time with your family, but why didn't you just go work just uh, picking a company out of a hat like APC, like a nine to five. Like, what made you want to buy your I, own business? I was selling computers to Roger Dowdell, who owned APC. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I count Roger as a a, a close friend. And, okay. And uh, his his family was into soccer, like my my kids were into soccer. Yeah. And so I would see him on the soccer field too. But again, he was a friend. Mm-hmm. I wasn't selling a particular item or anything like that. So. Yeah. Make sure you're close. Yeah, yeah. I I I wanted to. I don't care about working sixty or eighty or a hundred hours, hundred and twenty hours a week, Mm -hmm. as long as I could pick out the the times I was working. So when I built uh, Kingston Cleaners, the laundromat, um, 
and was Hey there guys, sorry to interrupt the episode, but I just wanted to tell you that I got my real estate license in the state of Rhode Island. So if you need to buy, sell, or need help renting a property in the state of Rhode Island, feel free to reach out. Contact me at maxwellwillett at kw.com or call me at 401-487-4477 and I'd be more than happy to help you. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Trying to diversify, so all my eggs were in one basket. Um, uh, I could go and pick up the Holiday Inn's dirty laundry, drop it off at my my shop to have it have my employees clean it, and then I would go pick up my daughter and go to uh, Curtis Corner Middle School. Well, it was high school back, uh, junior high back then, mm-hmm. and we would have soccer practice. Mm-hmm. And and then after that, soccer practice was over. She and I would drive down to the Black Island Ferry. I'd pick up laundry from dirty laundry from Black Island and bring that back to, uh, for my employees. I could fit in my family, and I was part of their lives growing up uh, when I had to be, but I'm working a lot more hours than I ever did for APC or whatever. That would be nine to five and I wouldn't be able to go have uh, soccer practice right after, after school mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. So that, that's what that is. But again, I told you about my father. He started out as a lathe operator and became vice president of sales mm-hmm. and part owner of the company. Uh, I mean, I, I, I did inherit his uh, bad hot conditions uh, as well as his work ethic mm-hmm. and his priorities. So that's that's why. Yeah. That's the why. Yeah. So you you bought Ragtime, right? Yep. And how long did you own that before you ended up investing in Peer Cleaners as well? Uh, about three years. Okay. Um, and, and we uh, built a laundromat, and that didn't do the numbers that the salesman said it was going to do. And we couldn't make ends meet. And so I diversified and I pivoted and started doing commercial laundry. Mm-hmm. And that became the mainstay of that business. And then we had uh, uh, a fire at the laundry and I lost everything. And uh, that's a story for another time. But, you know, I, I, I've had uh, a million dollar loss. Having to cover, uh, I had other people's goods, all the sheets, towels, pillowcases that went up in smoke. Mm-hmm. And I had to uh, make, make all those customers whole. And uh, I made out working relationships with other laundries in the area, and I would bring the laundry to them. And it didn't in fa- impact uh, anybody's life other than mine. I had to be a little more uh, attentive to pick up the laundry and then you bring it to XYZ laundromat instead of my own place. And then they can't leave, you can't leave the finished laundry there, so I'd have to go back and pick it up and bring it to where it was going. So people were getting same-day service at the same price as next-day service mm-hmm. um, for three months while we rebuilt. And I can tell you all about insurance claims and that kind of stuff because uh, we rebuilt the Taj Mahal of of laundromats and uh, had another fire and mm. another another total loss. Oh. Uh, 
because my landlord shut off smoke detectors in the in the whole building uh, because they were always constantly going off. And so that's why I had such major fires. They would have just been a little... Uh, there are fires from clean laundry, mm. clean laundry, not dirty laundry. And uh, I have it on tape because I put in surveillance uh, systems. But uh, my surveillance systems went off when the ceiling tiles were falling in as opposed to when smoke was starting. Yeah. And so, uh, but that's another time. That Another whole section of my life. And, and as a result of that second fire, um, I was getting out of the business because I couldn't, every time the fire horns went off, my heart would stop a beat or two. I, I just get the heebie-jeebies uh, because I lost a, a few years of my life going through those episodes. Um, and in, instead, I bought one of the laundromats that also had a dry cleaner at Pier Cleaners on High Street mm -hmm. so that I owned the smoke detectors. It was all my responsibility. And that's one of my major decisions in my life. And we can go over that. That would be uh, uh, phase two of, of, of a podcast. Well, I mean, right. I think we got plenty of time if you want to get into it a little bit. <laughs> well, no, it, it's, it's just that um, when I had the first fire, mm -hmm. I went to three different laundromats in the area of Narragansett and South Kingston, and, and I had my, my folders, if you will, my employees go to those places to do their work because my place was a mess. And I became friendly with the owners of those places because I was giving them, I was paying them retail price because I had the correct insurance. Uh, and so I was giving them probably three to $4,000 a week extra. Uh, one, one owner lived above the laundromat and he would bring down coffee and Danish for my employees every morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he loved us. Yeah. Um, and, uh, another one, uh, owned the dry cleaners and, and, uh, when I had the second fire, a mutual friend of his and, and mine, and that was my friend through soccer. Uh, he said, "No, no, no, no. I I think I can. I don't don't go out of business. Just bear with me for a little bit." And I met Nick Mazzilli, who owned uh, Peer Cleaners, and and uh, over six months, uh, I didn't rebuild where I was. I ended up getting uh, an SBA loan and, and bought the business and the building from him. And that's where I started growing my net worth as opposed to I had been in the same place for 15 years paying $3,000 a month and I didn't have anything to show for that. So that's 150 grand, oh, well, three, $3,000, $36,000 a year times 15 years I was there, right? So close to half a million bucks. A and I had nothing to show for it. Yeah. All right, well, I ended up paying the same amount of money 
and and I had to I had to uh, mortgage my firstborn. I bet the farm. I couldn't lose. Uh, the, the, this is a true story. We left the closing uh, with the million-dollar loan that, that we needed. Uh, the stack of paperwork was a foot tall of the, of the closing documents. Yeah. My wife shook all the, because she had to be on it too, uh, shook all the hands of uh, all the lawyers that were at the table and and the old owner of uh, Pierre Cleaners, and, and she uh, said, okay, now, dear, we're going to Baxter's Jewelry because my, my personal guarantee is worth something. And so whenever we buy a company or whatever, she gets a piece of jewelry from Baxter's. <laughs> and and, and uh, the rest of the story is the first day I went to work at Pierre Cleaners, I, w- I had to be the first one in there at 5 o'clock in the morning, and... As I left her in bed, she said, she turned to me and said, dear, just remember, you better effing make this work (laughs) because a house, and I want to let you know that your family is on the line on this one. Yeah. And, and in 15 years, we paid that mortgage off. Wow. uh, And, and now I have a building on high street that's worth a lot of money. Especially now, in yeah. the same five years longer than right now, it's five years longer than I leased the other place. Mm-hmm. But I have something to show for that monthly payment, yeah, as opposed to in somebody else's pocket. And and your business is growing, right? Yeah, we we've had to pivot, and yeah. it hasn't all been. Uh, uh, it's not smoke and mirrors. It's a lot of hard work, anticipating things, pivoting mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Uh, the dry cleaning and laundry industry has shrunk by 25 or 30% through the pandemic. Uh, people have gone out of business. We've grown through it mm-hmm. because we pivoted at the right times, saw our opportunity. Here's another little golden nugget, all right? A uh, golden nugget. Whenever you're at your weakest, your, your most challenging moment, whether it's in life or in business, look for the opportunities because where there, where there is adversity, there are opportunities. You just can't be stuck in dealing with the crap you're dealing with. You gotta get move yourself back, take a day off, and analyze the thing and look for the opportunity. And we did that at Pier Cleaners, and and we're growing. I had a competitor in in uh, Wesley go under uh, because they did the same thing over and over all the time. Never never uh, uh, pivoted at all. Mm-hmm. And now my sales are up in Wesley because of that. So there's an opportunity. Seize upon it. Even even with downfalls, there's opportunities. There's always something to learn. We grew 25% last year. Yeah. Can and you, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to get into it, but can you explain sort of some of the tactics that you did during COVID to help pivot to better your business? Well, we had uh, the laundromat, mm-hmm. and we had the dry cleaners, and they're very separate operations under the same roof. And... 
Um, when people are not going to weddings, they're not going to funerals, they're not going to work, uh, they don't need shirts cleaned and pressed. They don't need suits cleaned and pressed. That's why that industry suffered so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we, on that side of the business, we're down 80%. Uh, on, the, on the laundry side, uh, we saw an opportunity. We did pick up and delivery of people's clothes. We always we have for the last ten years, fifteen years. That's where we started growing. And there's not many dry cleaners that will that pivoted to that kind of a model. But we do maybe fifty percent of our business now is pick up and delivery at people's homes and businesses. Wow! Uh, and that started, like I said, ten or fifteen years ago. We started doing that. Uh, really got it down pat now. We've got a nice POS system that monitors everything, and people can go in and look at the status of their clothes, where it is, uh, has it been cleaned? Uh, oh, it's been pressed. Oh, it's been assembled. Oh, it's on the rack. Yep. If they're going to deliver it to me on, on uh, Thursday, oh, Thursday's a holiday, but I know it's done, and I want to wear that for Thanksgiving. They can call us, and we can have it ready for them at the front counter. So people have that capability in our system now, uh, there's not many dry cleaners that in this state mm-hmm. that, I, that I know of that can offer that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we pivoted and we reached out to the state and there's an agency that deals with the elderly uh, at the state level. And the elderly during COVID couldn't go out. And a lot of them can't do their own laundry. They would be bringing it to a laundromat or whatever to have it done, or their, their kids did it. But nobody wanted, at the beginning of COVID, nobody wanted to go anywhere. So we offered free pickup and delivery of laundry as mm-hmm. well as dry cleaning. And that was a big pivot and grew that size, of the, that end of the business by about 300%. So we tripled yeah. our side on the laundry side. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, that has really grown. But that got us through the first couple of years of the pandemic. But now COVID is COVID. Everybody's saying uh, it's not that bad anymore. It's just like the flu. So they can do their own laundry. Or we're, we're going into a, a recession. And I have, to, I have to, I'm paying so much for gas and so much for food. What's a luxury item that I can cut? Well, you can cut having somebody do your laundry. You know, you can do that at home. Or bring it to a laundromat and uh, have them do it. So we, we knew that that would happen. So a year ago, we pivoted again into the commercial laundry. And we started doing hotels again and motels. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're open no matter what. And, and they're going to be busy during the summer no matter what. Especially coming out of, out of COVID. People wanted to get out. Yeah. And and so we picked up a lot of what we call wholesale laundry accounts. Uh, and this year we're 20 percent, 25 percent more than last year. We've lost like we thought we would people where we were doing their personal laundry. Uh, and so they're doing their own. So those sales are down, but the commercial laundry is up. Yeah. 
And so that's why our bottom and, and the dry cleaning is coming back. Yeah. It's almost to where it was pre COVID. So it's really interesting to hear you say that, you know, you talk about these pivots, but I feel like in actuality, they're risks that you're taking that you're hoping to help better your business. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners are afraid of taking risk, right? I mean, I know starting a business already is a risk, but then changing things up when things aren't working, I feel like a lot of people have tunnel vision. They're like, nope, this is what I was going to do and I'm going to stick to it. Sometimes branching out and changing your original plan is better. And I think you obviously are the master at at, that, wow, at pivoting. A lot of gray hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in my case, the first 15 years, it was hand to mouth, and and, and that's how we survived. Yeah. Uh, it was it was it was very scary. Mm. Our kids didn't know it. At Christmas time is when we would we would go overboard. I love Christmas. I do Christmas lights. I got 10,000 lights up at my house, and I'm on yeah. a dead end that nobody goes by. Yeah. But I do it for the kids in the neighborhood and my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm still doing it now, and now it's for my grandkids yeah. and, the, and, and new younger families that are in my neighborhood. Uh, but, but Christmas, that's when we bought presents for all the kids. And we wanted to make that, no matter how much we were suffering, financially or, or business-wise or whatever, Christmas was a time to celebrate. And, and we didn't buy clothes for the kids all year long. They got it at Christmas time and toys and that kind of stuff. So uh, we would run up five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 worth of credit card bills because Christmas was going to be Christmas no matter how bad we were hurting. And it wouldn't take, it would take us August to September before we would actually have paid those off when we, when we could afford it. And the credit cards allowed us to live our life the way we wanted to, but it cost us dearly. Mm -hmm. And those were when credit cards were Way up there. We're, we're, they're getting back up there now anyway. Yeah, 25% interest. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But we did that because we wanted the kids to have that experience like we had when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. And no matter how tough things were in the business, the kids shouldn't suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another good example is uh, when, when we first bought Ragtime and we were paying... We didn't have two pennies to rub together then. And um, I would get a paycheck every week, but it was never good. Cash flow, Mm. another golden nugget. If you're in business, monitor your cash flow. So you're not saying necessarily cash in the bank, you know, how much money you have saved up, but the amount of cash that is flowing through your bank account. Correct. Yes. Correct. That's why it's called cash flow. And and uh, you want to make sure that more money is coming in than going out. And that might not be this month, like in the dry cleaning business, uh, January, February, and March, until you get to Easter, uh, more money is going out than coming in, but... Come Easter and the spring season, mm-hmm. now you start doing laundry and, and it's a change of season, so it's a change of clothes. People are 
having them clean, comfort is clean, that kind of stuff, business goes up. Uh, so you got to have the cash to get through the lows mm -hmm. and, and not spend it when you're in the highs. And yeah, uh, uh, when we're adjusting the house cleaning business, it was the same thing. A lot of summer homes got cleaned during the summer, but not during the winter. Yeah. College students didn't care. Yeah. You know, but when, when classes were over beginning of May, uh, the students would hire us to clean up the house so that they get the security deposit back. Yeah. And so cash flow was good then. Yeah. And then the summer people came back and, and, and we were, uh, we were in, in the money again. Watch your cash flow. Mm. And, and uh, that's, that's a golden nugget. So I have a question for you. When it, when it comes to money management, I started reading this book called Profit First. It's, was recommended to me um, by um, this real. I'm, I'm a real, you know, you're, you know, yeah. I'm a realtor now. It was recommended through my brokerage, and um, well, actually, no, it wasn't. It was given to me by Brenda, the woman that ran our BNI um, mm -hmm. organization. Yep, uh, she was amazing. Um, unfortunately, she passed away. Man, it must have been over a year ago now. Yep, but uh, yeah, she was awesome. I won that book in a Zoom meeting. That's what it was. <laughs> and it's called Profit First. And they talk about, I haven't finished it yet, but they talk about having um, basically five different types of bank accounts for different types of expenses. And like, or you have one for, you know, uh, rent, one for um, other expenses like office supplies, things like that. One for, um, I can't remember all five of them, but like another one for all your assets, you know, to help keep them at working like your, like your washing machines or your dryers and whatnot. Do you think systems like that work or do you think that having a simplified money management system, you know, like two bank accounts or just one is more efficient? I have what I have because my wife manages all our money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'd give it to you to help you out yeah. as opposed to keep it in my own pocket. Yeah. All right. And my wife knows that about me. Yeah. And so, uh, where I have, I have uh, signature authority on the checkbook. I, I don't, she manages all the money, but so we'll have I to will get her tell on you, the podcast and ask she, her. she has, um, money market accounts and checking accounts. Okay. And, because of our history, like I was telling you uh, with Ragtime when we first bought it, I would get a paycheck every week, but it was not good. Mm -hmm. And on her desk, there was a, a stack of maybe 10 to 12 weeks worth of checks that I couldn't cash. She couldn't cash because there were no good. We didn't have the money. Yeah. But we were making money. We knew we were making money. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I don't think you can do now that I got away with 40 years ago uh, with ragtime was uh, I, as, as an employer, you withhold uh, social security and, and taxes and everything else out of your employees' checks. And then once a week or once a month, back then it was once a month, if you were small, you would write a check to the federal government or whatever, state government for X number of thousands of dollars. Well, uh, we didn't have any money. So we never, when we first bought Ragtime, we never 
We had a corporation, but we never filed with the state or the feds. So for nine months, we were withholding money from all our employees' checks, and we would keep track of it and everything else, but we were not paying that to the necessarily to the right authority, and it was in our account, and that was the cash flow that we needed to make it through. Mm-hmm. And uh, once, once we knew we had enough cash in the bank, and back then it was like five or ten grand, not a lot. Uh, then we filed with the IRS. We filed with the state, paid them everything we owed them up until then, and then continued on regularly. Uh, so I, I kind of joked that. Uh, my first business was half financed by the federal government and the state government because I just didn't pay that. And I didn't pay my, I paid myself, but I never cashed the checks. Mm. And then once we were able to, and those checks were good, I would do that. And, and another thing in business, a golden nugget, again, we always take care of our employees first, our suppliers second, and uh, ourselves and our family last. Uh, last week, I signed over 50 checks for payroll because my wife makes me do that just to know how many employees we have and how many employees we're responsible for mm-hmm. because we really take seriously that I have 50-some-odd employees that are counting on a check. And it's got to be a good check. And they have so many kids that they're supporting off that payroll check. And uh, in the beginning, I couldn't sleep some nights. Mm. And now I can. But just to smack me in the side of the head, she has me sign the checks every week. And, and that's a reminder to me that a lot of people are depending on mm. us for their livelihood, not just ours. And I never worry about mine because if I take care of my employees, if I take care of my suppliers, then they will want to do business with me, want to work for me. Uh, we treat everybody as family. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to uh, uh, the kid that just has their first job in high school at 16. I treat them like they're my kid. Yeah. Uh, uh, My wife will say that that's one of my faults as well as one of my attributes because I've been burned. I had an employee that I let uh, use an apartment of ours at the plant. He didn't pay rent for a year before I uh, sent him packing. And then I had... $15,000 $15,000 worth of damage to the apartment that I had to pay for. Oh. But would I still rent to him? Yeah. Yeah. I had bailed him out of jail a couple of times. Oh. So, so uh, that's who I am. I'm not going to change. Yeah. Uh, it drives my wife cra- crazy, nuts sometimes, but uh, uh, I don't want to abandon employees. Uh, I'll help them as much as possible. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, sometimes my wife calls me fish bank and trust because, because I give 
somebody a loan for uh, for a deposit on the car or something like that, or, or for an apartment on a new apartment that they want to go into or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm a softy for that. And but again, when uh, the shit hits the fan in the middle of summer and it's 120 degrees in the press room, those employees that I helped because I could, they're the ones that are going to be right there with me getting through the work under horrendous conditions, but they'll be there. And, and that's, as again, um, treat people like you'd like to be treated, and they know I went above and beyond, then they're going to be above and beyond helping me out in my time of need. And it comes back to me tenfold again. It's yeah. the tenfold rule. Yeah. So that's that. That's how. That's how cash flow and yeah and and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, so you. I mean, you've said you have over fifty employees now, or around fifty employees. I mean, I just want to get your idea of like the hiring process. You know, you've hired a lot of employees. What is your approach to that process? I've asked uh, several other business owners that I've had on the podcast this question. It, it's as hard right now as it ever has been. Yeah. Uh, in the 80s, uh, if, uh, if a high school kid was still breathing, I'd hire him, and, and they'd clean houses. Um, uh, at the height of this summer, it was the same way. Yeah. Um, I was proactive in hiring for the, most of my summer employees are for the laundry and their kids, either high school kids or college kids. A lot of them, it's their first job. So we kind of mentor them and help them. Uh, They've never gotten a paycheck before and and don't blow it, start saving it and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, The labor market, it was terrible all through COVID and- so I came up with an idea, and I went to uh, a school committee member uh, as the head of the Economic Development Committee and uh, suggested that the high school do a job fair for local businesses. Uh, in, bef- you know, maybe I think it was late May. It was a month before school was out. Mm. Uh, and they thought it was a great idea. Was this last year? Yeah, this past year. Last year, and yeah. And we had it in one of the gyms mm-hmm. because gym was outside that time of year. And um, we had, I did it in conjunction with Joe Veely in the Chamber of Commerce down yep. here. Uh, and so my idea that uh, got accepted by the Chamber, the Chamber promoted it. There was probably 25 businesses there. Uh, and... The high school would send like one third of the of the class body at a time for a half an hour, and they could go. The kids could go through all the tables and get job applications, talk to the owners or, or the or the managers or whatever. And a lot of a lot of companies got employees out of that. I probably got half a dozen. Wow! And and that helped us get through the summer. Yeah. And, and that was again another pivot. Uh, an idea mm-hmm. that I ran by a couple of people. They they endorsed it, and I think they'll probably do it again next year and go forward on that because it really didn't 
detract from the, the school environment, and it was doing a, a, a great service to uh, the parents of those kids mm-hmm. and, and the kids themselves and all the employers in town you know, uh, got some people out of it. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's what we did uh, for this summer for that kind of employee. Uh, somebody with, with uh, skills that we're looking for, uh, whether it's um, people skills, uh, a salesman, which is a driver, where a driver will, will hire a driver and he'll go uh, every Monday to these 150 houses and businesses and picking up their laundry and, and going back to them on Thursday with, with all that laundry clean. And if they pick up on Thursday, they'll bring it back to them on Monday. That's what we offer as a free service. Uh, and that's really taken off because we're selling convenience. Why, why, why have to fit dropping you off your dress or your suit uh, late in the day or on Saturday, take away from your family time, when for the same price as you standing in line in, in, in my call office at my front counter for five minutes or 10 minutes on a Saturday in line, why do that and then do it again the following week? Or, or you forget to pick up that dress that you wanted to and then you're calling me because you know me personally and me going down and getting it at six o'clock at night on a, on a, on a Saturday night so uh, your wife can, can wear it on it whatever function you're going to Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people have done that. So if I'm looking for a driver, that takes a people person and somebody with a lot of consideration. They got to be polite. Uh, you know, they, my drivers can't flip somebody off uh, because they're in a van that says Pierre Clean is all over it <laughs> yeah. and everybody knows me. So yeah. I, I get the phone calls. And yeah. believe me, I get the phone calls. If they cut you <laughs> off, if they go through a rolling stop sign, yeah. I get the phone calls. And I don't mind that Yeah, because uh, they're a rolling billboard. They represent me and my wife. Mm-hmm. And just as in the quality of our cleaning, the quality of our service while the vans are on the road is very important to me. Uh, when I hire a driver, I say every time you're on the road and you pass a, a police car going in the other direction, you wave to them. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that a big thing to me? Well, think about that cop out there. How many friends do they have out there when they're working? And, and what kind of experience did they have maybe five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago? Maybe a, a domestic dispute or somebody broke into somewhere or whatever. Just a wave. Just to acknowledge them and thank them for their service. Uh, they might, my, my driver might hate the cops, but in my van, while they're working for me, mm-hmm. they're waving to the cops. Mm-hmm. Because I want them to know. And if one of them gets pulled over, maybe they'll get the discretion from the cop. Because every time I see a pair clean his van, you're waving to us. Mm-hmm. Or are you the uh, or they'll say, are you the guy that waved to me on High Street the other day? Yeah. All right. It just 
it's a, 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 a little, this is a golden nugget, it's a little thing that happens on a daily basis. And when you figure eight trucks out there, that's a, once a day, each one of them will pass a cop car and just wave. That's nothing. But it's doing the little thing, and that separates us. It separates peer cleaners. It separates Larry Fish, Phyllis Fish. And it really didn't cost us a dime. It's just a cultural thing in our company. Yeah. And those, here's the goal of that. The little things don't cost you anything, but can come back to you tenfold. Yep. And uh, uh, that's why uh, I've been on the, uh, on the uh, Economic Development Committee for so long because I'm giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, I managed the Wakefield Mall, another thing that we didn't talk about. Yeah. Uh, for 35 years. I yep. started working for the owners 35 years ago. Um, and where did anybody in South County see Santa Claus for the first time? Sat on his lap and got a picture. Wakefield Mall. Wakefield Mall. Yep. All right. That is extremely important to me. Yep. Uh, he comes via helicopter the day after Thanksgiving. He's at a tough 11 guy o'clock. To get, tough guy to get in contact with, too. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, I'm responsible for that. Yeah. To happen. And on Thanksgiving in the afternoon, I'll be out myself cordoning off the parking lot so Santa can have a place to safely land. And I do that uh, on Thanksgiving after I eat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a tradition. I'll take a couple of kids. Yeah. Go down, set off the saw horses and the gasoline flags. Yep. To do that. But it's giving back. It's the little things. And it doesn't cost you anything. Maybe a little time. Mm-hmm. And that's another golden nugget. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know we're running out of time a little bit. Yep. So um, you knew I was going to ramble, right? Th- that's OK. That's the whole point of this podcast is, you know, just to talk and converse. And I really, really, really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to talk to me. I've been looking forward to this ever since I created the podcast. (laughs) My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I end every podcast with this. I know you've put a lot of golden nuggets in this podcast, but I have to end it with, if you were to leave one piece of advice out of everything that you've talked about today, what piece of advice would that be? Could be business, life, Uh whatever. Well, you know, I've been at that store a couple of times. Uh, that's changed me. It's changed my priorities. Uh, people will tell you that I've changed in the last couple of years. Um, and I'm, I, I think my answer to that question would be live by the golden rule. Do unto others as you want them to be do unto you. And if you follow that, that's giving back. Mm-hmm. Think about the meaning of that. You do for others. You think of others. You help others. You educate others. You mentor others. And it will come back to you tenfold. That would be my, that's the, that's the biggest nugget. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Well, I, I'm just going to say it again. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And those of you list, listening, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
And uh, yeah, make sure to follow Knowledge is Power on Instagram. Make sure to check out Pure Cleaners in Wakefield, Westerly, and there's Stonington. one in Stonington. Stonington. Yes, I knew it was like near Mystic, but yeah. So yeah, Pure Cleaners, great place. I get my uh, shirts dry cleaned there. This shirt was not dry cleaned, but it has been dry cleaned in the past. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you again. And thank you everybody for listening to the Knowledge is Power podcast. And I will catch you in the next one. You want to say something? I just hope everybody had uh, has a happy Thanksgiving or had a happy Thanksgiving yep. when this, this airs. Yeah. That's what the lingo is. Yeah. Yeah. We posted uh, next Monday. Posted. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So thank you very much. Catch you guys later. <laughs>